even a Bernie Sanders has made some kind of accommodations somewhere. Yeah. And what you might have called the really uh, the the the, uh, the 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 innovator of the 1972 election was Senator Gene McCarthy, and he was in a sense outside, but people didn't realize it in his campaign. A lot of CIA people were in his campaign because they uh, they didn't want Nixon. Right, but he was considered not a risk like you know what i mean i think that's yeah yeah he he was a they they could handle because again gene mccarthy i i think he was you know he was catholic he was uh, sincerely anti-war and he had initially some very good people working for him um and of course it's possible that the cia saw him as a way of actually ensuring the war because it split if 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 bobby hadn't been assassinated then there would have been a split vote um well there, there wasn't right let's not go over there but it's just speculation yeah i mean they hedged they hedged their bets there's there's no doubt about that they could they seem to have fingers in every pot i mean for a while they were supplying fidel castro with weapons you know i mean that's uh to win to fight the revolution, I mean that's that seems to be well. Weapons were coming from America, but I think that the uh, it, it wasn't people at the very top. I think who were interested in getting Castro. I think it was people who were losing their casinos, and that's a class of Americans that's not quite Wall Street. Right. I just mean that there's. It seems that there's always some. There's always some elements of yeah, these yeah, yeah, forces yeah, yeah. in even in groups that would seem to be oppositional, and then it comes to that. So when you had this, you you wrote how long as you started to write coming to Jakarta? How long did it take before you felt like this was something that was good that that was helping you? I mean, was this something you just like put your head down and were like? I'm still in this state, but I'm just going to proceed with this in hopes I that I eventually it. start to feel better. Or did it did it happen sort of, you know, immediately if gradually? Well, it, I was writing it in order to stay sane. I mean, that was the mode. It wasn't. I wasn't saying, "Oh, I'm going to write a long poem." I had no idea it was going to go on and on and on and on. But. Uh, I, it's you can sort of date things by by the, the where they occur in the poem, and it's like three or four uh, cantos in that I say I realize this is to be a poem about terror, and I was initially writing about my own terror that night, but then realizing that my terror was a kind of uh, a reflection on water of the terror. That was in the world around me, and very soon that thing that the terror that was it really was gnawing at my heart from inside me without my being conscious of it was the terror in Indonesia when how many one million, two million, three million BBC says three million people, many of them totally innocent, totally innocent. Right, even, the vast, the vast, vast, vast majority would have been totally innocent. I mean, yeah, well, you know, you're relatively. Let's say it's it's a it's a sin to be in the Communist Party. There are people who would say that, but this went way beyond people who are members of the Communist Party. It really was a, a, a revolt 
steered from the top of arousing the masses to kill anyone you mistrusted or anyone who owed you, you owed money to. So it was very, very hard on the middle class. Right. Especially, yeah, the, especially the educated middle class. And I was from one point of view, some of the best people in Indonesia either killed or imprisoned. It produced a great series of novels, by the way, by an Indian, by an Indonesian author, Pramudia, who I'm proud to say, um, I, we got, we finally got to meet. I, is in my poem, but not the first volume. Uh, it, 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 it was a great, in the sense that someday Indonesia will look back on all this and see that every disaster always has a, a cloud. There's a, a silver lining to that disaster. And certainly in my case, my personal disaster on that day was enormous piece of good fortune for me. My life has been altogether better in producing, by the way, my more serious political books. All of them are not, I mean, the books don't talk about that thing, but they're conspicuously after I had that breakdown in 1980, and specifically, more narrowly, after I married my second wife in 1992, and then I had a, a book a year practically for a decade, and uh, so I'm much and happier. They were, they were pretty serious. They were pretty serious books too. They weren't um, like detective novels, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, some of them were fairly miscellaneous books, like Dallas '63. That's my, I think, my biggest money maker, though, and just a series of essays about JFK. Yeah, you know something funny about your having this moment and it being kind of a, a a cataclysm in your own in your own life and in your own kind of uh, you know psychic journey through your life is the fact that for me my first memory of anything political is being pro I guess I would have been about four years old and my mom say I, there's the inauguration parade on TV and I say who who's that and she says it's the new president. Uh, I go, who is, what's his name? And she said, Ronald Reagan, something like that. <laughs> and then, and I, and I said, is he a good man? And she said, no, he's a bad man. Yes. I and think. so my first political memory is my mom saying that there's a new president and a bad man is running this country. So that's like my first, that's my first political education. Well, I think that, uh, I try to put this into perspective on, with my rational side by saying that, in a sense, American politics has always been in crisis from the very beginning. I mean, when, uh, when, when, when Washington running for a second term, there was no, no sweat about that. But when it became a showdown between Adams and Jefferson and the, the gloves came off, and you see what they were saying about each other, and then Adams passing these libel laws that were... Uh, outrageous Adams, you know, the epitome of the sort of bourgeois, reasonable Massachusetts guy. Um, it's, it's always been in crisis, and 
it's the great weakness of American politics that you cannot really predict that same policies will emerge, but it's also in a way the democratic strength of American politics that the country itself was, you know, pretty illiterate, not, not barely educated back in the late 18th century. And the first generation of, of the founding fathers were hoping to sort of keep them at the periphery, and that's why the Senate was different then, and uh, so on. And, but uh, American politics is basically grounded and right now we're suffering because the, the great successes of the mid-20th century, two of them are miracles really, the civil rights movement, you know, you can, I've said on this show that Johnson passed, the, got the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act passed, but those acts wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been a bona fide grassroots movement of black people like Rosa Parks, and people who were willing to die nonviolently, who managed to bring that off. And then an unprecedented event, which built from that success, because the anti-war movement, why it was so strong and so solid, because it drew on the ranks of the people who had been working in the civil rights movement, and, and like Martin Luther King himself saw that the war was a threat to American democracy and mobilized against it. And a grassroots movement helped to end a war. It would be wrong to say it ended the war. No, the North Vietnamese had a, had a, a role in that too, and a bigger one than the anti-war movement. But the French tried something in the mid-1950s uh, and they were the anti-war movement there was uh, not successful. What happened instead was a coup in the end of the Fourth Republic. So that was old-time politics. The anti-war movement was a, I think, a harbinger of a new kind of politics, and it wasn't able to sustain itself. Neither was the civil rights movement. You, you reached the goal that you were all for, focused on. And once that happens, then things fall apart, and things fell apart in the anti-war movement. But now we have a, a kind of vacuum. We need something to replace that anti-war movement because our politics are being determined by oligarchs now. You're either rich yourself or you're backed by somebody rich, or in the case of Trump, both. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.